God's word is to be our center, our guide, our focus. And we, we've declared that as one of our congregation's values, that we need, we recognize the need to know God's word, to study God's word, to let it guide and direct our lives. Today we're going to switch gears a little bit to seeking God together as a community and what that means. Before we do, before we read, let's pray. Lord God, again, we come into your presence. And if you haven't sought us out, we would never seek you. But Lord, you've graciously called us your own, your people. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that we could bring glory to God, so that we could be your people, so that you could shower your glory and love on us. So Lord... Speak to our hearts today. Help us to pay attention to that thing you want us to hear together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 105, be reading verses 1 through 7. I added a verse. (laughs) Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servants, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. And then to Psalm 106 beginning at verse 6 through 13. We have sinned, even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. They rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe. From the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. What does it mean to seek God in community? Together. Got to ask the question first, who really seeks God? I talked about it last week. Uh, David Mingle talked about it in his Romans series through the summer. I've worn out Romans 3, verses 10, 11, and 12 in my Bible. There's no one righteous, not even one. No one who seeks God No one who does good, not even one. But God's gracious rescue for the Son of Man, Luke 19.10, came to seek and to save what was lost. So there we have the great story, our great need that we do not really pursue God or seek God individually or as a community But yet God came seeking us. And when God has come, and he does, he has sought us through sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to be buried for our sins, to take our sins away, and then to be raised again. Now we can seek God because God has given us a new heart, 
That's the good news. That's the gospel. So what has God done? He's created a body. It's a done deal. Unity in the body of Christ, seeking God together, not just individually. We're Americans. We, we kind of sort of know how to seek God individually in the American church, but I don't know that we know how to seek God together in community very well. At least it wasn't a part of my Christian tradition growing up. It was an odd thing to think about fasting and praying together and seeking God. But we are united in Christ, and I'm, I'm kind of laying some groundwork here, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul addresses that issue. Make every effort, be diligent, be zealous. Those are some of the meanings of that word. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all, and in all. That's a done deal. The covenant has been made. Jesus shed his blood so that he united all who believe in him. We are one, so we must serve God, seek God together in community. But we don't know how to do that very well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, great read. You ought to read it if you haven't and talk about it with somebody else in a group setting. Here's what he says. It is not simply to be taken for granted that a Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. So what you have here this morning is not normal. Bonhoeffer went on to say, for Jesus lived in the midst of his enemies. He came seeking. The kingdom, another famous German theologian said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, now he quotes Martin Luther. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And those who will not suffer this do not want to be in the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends. They want to sit among the roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people O oh, blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you were doing, who would ever have been spared? Luther never pulled any punches. <laughs> so between the death of Christ and the day when Jesus comes back, we have the privilege of living together in community. Don't take it for granted. The physical presence of other Christians is the source of incomparable joy and strength. It's when you don't have it that you want it, and that's why Paul wrote to Timothy, come quick, I'm alone in prison, everyone's deserted me, bring my cloak, bring my parchments, Timothy, I need you here. So don't take it for granted that we have community here. It's an unspeakable gift for the lonely individual community, and it's easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. I just laid some groundwork there because I want us to know that this is an important thing. We are a united body, not just a Grace Chapel, 
But think bigger. Again, think kingdom values. Think about all the believers that live in our area that attend other local churches, but we are a part of them and we need to seek coming together and being unified together for the glory of Christ. Centered on Christ and his word. Agreeing together about our corporate sins. The reason, well, I'm jumping ahead. (laughs) So we value this. So seeking God in community. I'm going to jump a little bit ahead, but in Joel chapter 2, if you have your Bibles open, please turn there, because I wanted to refer to something that Pastor Dave Van Wigerden referred to when we had our sacred assembly. Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, let me just read those verses to refresh in our memory. The day of the Lord is great. It's dreadful. Who can endure it? So God was going to be, was pronouncing judgment on the people of Israel, and here's, here was God's invitation. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. So then Joel goes on in verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, excuse me, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber, let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Why do I look at that? Because I want to remind us, and I have a couple references there, that we need to come before God together. That's the call. Did you notice it wasn't just the leaders who needed to come before God? It was everybody, children, It was the bride and the bridegroom. Picture newlyweds. (laughs) This is so important. Stop normal activities. Everyone needs to come before God together and ask and plead with him. Like I said, when we meet together, we kind of individually kind of know how to confess our sins. When, we, when a person becomes a new believer, we tell them that they need to meet with other believers to study the word of God. Good advice. To read the word on their own. Good advice. To pray with, by themselves and to others. To confess their sins. And if they've offended someone or hurt someone, to, to go to them in private and, and do that. And, and we kind of at least know we should do that. To share what we've learned but we have a hard time doing it together. In the bulletin, I have James 4, 10 listed. I wanted to read that whole text. You don't need to turn there, but would you listen? Sometimes I think we forget that James is writing to believers collectively, not individuals. So yes, he's addressing you personally, 
but he's also addressing us. Listen to what he says. Verse 4 of James 4. You adulterous people. That's where Martin Luther got his fire. James had it too. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, that was written to Christians. Not to unbelievers. So what is God trying to tell us? When you come together, prepare to meet God. Come as you are. Yes, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been invited to come. Christ has cleansed you. You're a child of God, a son or daughter of God. So come boldly, knowing that you're forgiven, that your sins have been removed. Come as you are before God, yes, because you're a child of God, believer, but no. You don't just come to God any way you want and expect him to answer. How dare we do that, approach God demanding his attention to meet our needs unless we come gratefully and, and humbly, recognizing that we don't deserve anything. How often I've taken his grace for granted. I have nothing to bring on my own, so how dare I think I can approach, approach God without remembering my own sins and remembering how patient and gracious he's, he's been with me. To forget Christ's obedience, his suffering, his pursuing death so that I could live. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. I almost dared to sing that, but I didn't. But you were singing it, don't you, those of you who know that song? Let me ask you this, people. So did you prepare yourself to meet with God today? Did you set aside some time to remember Jesus and his goodness before you came to worship today? Did you take any time to listen to him in quietness this morning or last night just so you might have ears wide open to hear? Maybe I've shared this with you. You know, I'm old enough now. I've shared this story so many places. I don't know if I've told you or not. <laughs> but my routine that my parents made me do as a young boy in elementary school was on Saturday nights, I can tell you this, Saturday nights was hamburger night at the meter house, okay? Twyla meter made, mom meter made a pretty good third of a pound hamburger. <laughs> two, or, two of those at least when I was a teenager. Cheeseburgers, boy, that was even better. 
But then part of that routine was polishing my shoes. Who polishes shoes, right? But that was part of my Sunday routine. To get ready for church, I polished my dress shoes. I had two pair of shoes, dress shoes and my Converse shoes. That was it. And a pair of rubber galoshes to put over them in the winter. Polish the shoes, take a bath, check this out. Read over my Sunday school lesson and memorize the verse for tomorrow. Now, that didn't save me. That didn't make me holy. That routine didn't cleanse me. That's something that only Jesus can do and through faith in him. But it prepared my heart. It set apart time to get ready to meet God. So I would just challenge you to think about how we together need to prepare our hearts as individuals to meet with God so that when we do gather together, we are together in the spirit of God to hear his voice as a body. Because we are one. We need others to help us meet God. But please don't depend on the teacher or the preacher Today, that happens to be me, to get you ready to meet with God. Hopefully, God will use that. But if you're depending on just me to get you ready to go, you're in trouble. And the worship team, are you depending on them to get you in love with Jesus every Sunday morning? And what if the songs don't hit you today? Now, let me tell you. Being a teacher or a preacher, I got a jump start on you. So does the worship team, because I've been thinking about God's word all week. So hopefully that's kind of the spirit's been getting into me and, and like working on me. And I realize, wow, I'm preaching this, but look at that. I'm, I'm falling short in the worship team. You know, after they get through all the technicalities, those lyrics they've been singing, yeah, it's getting into their head, their mind, and then into their heart. And like God's working on them. So we got a jump start on you, but you can get a jump start on it too. Don't wait for others to prepare you to meet God. You have been charged with a task as an individual to do it to help me meet God. When we gather together, we do it together. In the midst of our changes at Grace Chapel, we have an opportunity to consider our theology of worship and why we do what we do on Sunday mornings and maybe make it better so that we meet with God. Just a thought. Seeking God in community. I wanted to go back now to Psalm 105 and 106 and just make some quick observations. So if your Bibles are there still, that's great. Psalm 105. Why did I pick Psalm 105 and 106? Because I want you to know they're back-to-back -back psalms, not by accident. But they were planned by God the Spirit to do that because it's the same story, but two different views. Psalm 105 is heaven's perspective on how the story went. And Psalm 106 is how earth's response was to heaven's story. In Psalm 105, it's what God did, what God did for his people. He was so good. He was so faithful to his word. He was so forgiving. 
Psalm 106 is the story of how God's people responded to God's faithfulness and to his goodness and to his forgiveness. It's a day and night story. Give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known his wonders, verses 5 through 8. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he's pronounced. In verse 12 it says, When they were few in number, few indeed, and strangers in the world, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He's talking about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. They were so few in numbers, yet God had made this promise that he was going to make them a great nation, and we see how it worked out. And then it talks about how he sent Joseph to Egypt in verse 17. And in verses 24 through 26, it talks about his deliverance from Egypt when they were enslaved there. And then he says, declare out loud together God's great holy character. I love it when we sing like how holy God is and how awesome he is, but I want to challenge us to think one step further. Don't just say the word awesome, God's awesome, but list in your mind and your heart something awesome that God did in Bible history. Remember what he has done. Maybe the awesome thing, even though it might seem little in your life, or eyes, what he did this week for you. Remember his faithfulness to Israel and to all the people in the New Testament and how he was faithful, and then remember how he's been faithful to you, how he's been patient and forgiving, even though you've sinned again that same sin for the hundredth time today. How faithful he is and forgiving. Declare it, say it, not only to yourself, but then to someone else, and then come together on Sunday morning, and let's raise our voices together and declare how faithful God has been. Share what he's done together. Sing it. Say it. Say it to one another. Psalm 106 is about confession. That's why I started in verse 6. We have sinned even as our fathers did. Let's own it personal confession, we kind of know we ought to do that. I've hurt you. I've offended you. I'm sorry. Or I've been bitter. Or I've been coveting uh, other people's stuff or their lifestyle or their house. Or I just wish I had their life. And would you help me, sister, to get past that? I want to go beyond my little trivial stuff and, and see God's bigger and better. So it's good to confess our sins. But I love Psalm 106 because it's a corporate confession. We have sinned, even as our fathers did. Thoughtless, verse 7. We did not, they did not remember. We don't remember. We rebel. Verse 8, but God's different. <laughs> he saved them for his namesake. Verse 13, but soon they forgot. That's repeated in that process in Nehemiah chapter 9. I won't take time to look at that today, but you can read that. Remembering God's goodness, confession of failing to remember it often, and asking him for mercy to pursue him and seek him more. You know what's hard about seeking God together in community? It takes time. It means meeting together 
and listening to God quietly for a while. The elders were talking about the sacred assembly that we did in January as a congregation. And a lot of us, I think, were uncomfortable with it because it was out of my usual church life process. So we didn't know what to do with it. It wasn't part of our church culture. It was a new idea to many of us. And I think many of us were uncomfortable because honestly, we were unwilling to identify with the sins of others. For example, I thought this and I had to change my thinking. Not my problem, I wasn't here. That was true. But you know what, it was my problem because I've done it other places. You know why it was my problem? Because I came here and identified with you. And as soon as I become a part of this local fellowship now, I have to own the sins of the body because we are one. So it was my sin. It was our sin. It was my issue because my sins our sins affect the body and the glory of God. What habitual sins are a part of Grace Chapel's DNA? I have my opinions and you have yours. The transition team pointed some of those hurtful habits, sins, and attitudes out. And awareness is a great first step. But then there's repentance turning from it. Let me just challenge us to think about a serious time before God in prayer and fasting together in community is what God requires of his people. Dare we be quiet before God the Spirit, allowing him to reveal hidden sins as a body and the not-so-hidden sins that we're willing to overlook because we've been living with them for so long? We have them. Let me just read Psalm 106, verse 43. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. But he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For, the sake, for their sake he remembered his covenant and out of his great love he relented. He caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. I love verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Now the context there is Israel who scattered because of their sins, but do you love their, their plea? Lord, save us. Gather us together again. We're so divided. We're so individualistic. Lord, bring us together with one heart and mind for the glory of your name. I'm out of time. Seeking steps in the New Testament. I'm going to fly through these. Acts chapter 2. Do you know what happened in Acts chapter 2? That was the day of Pentecost. That's the day when Peter preached this great sermon after Jesus had been gone for 50 days and he preaches and the Holy Spirit comes down and fills the disciples, all those who were in that room. And guess what they were doing before the Holy Spirit came? They were praying. 
You know why they needed to be praying together? Because they were so divided. They had been arguing about who was the greatest. There was probably tension still there. Peter was still complaining about John, you know, with Jesus on the beach, you know, I'm going to die this way. Well, what about John? How come he, what's, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, don't worry about John, just worry about you. So there was this stuff they needed to be together to pray and to get ready for God to move. And because they were united in prayer, God came powerfully as he promised he would as they obeyed him. That's Acts chapter 2. And then the people heard the sermon. And what did they say? Wow, our fathers rejected the prophets. And now we've rejected Jesus. What God going to do to us? We've, we've, we've killed the Messiah. Now what's going to happen to Israel? Repent and believe and be baptized. Love God. Follow him. Believe. Turn. And it'll be well, Peter said. Acts chapter 4, persecution, what did they do? Persecution came. Peter and John were, were healing people, and they got thrown in prison, and they got beat. What, what happened? They came out from prison, and they got together, and they prayed, and they told God how great he was and how sovereign he was in his power in Acts chapter 4. And they asked for boldness to preach Jesus' gospel, even though they were already being bold and preaching Jesus' gospel. They asked for more boldness. And because they were asking God to do his will, and they were seeking to do his will, God was pleased to answer. Acts chapter 19, what happened there? Ephesus. Some Jewish guys were trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, even though they weren't followers of Jesus. And the demons said, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard about, but who are you? And then the demon beat them up and they went running out, beaten and naked, it says. And then the people of God became afraid. And they confessed their sins openly and started burning all their sorcery books and all their idols and things that they were pulling them away from Christ. They pursued holiness and the word of God spread. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, I just call it the seven churches report cards. They versus me and we. You know what Grace Chapel needs to do to get right with God? I can hear someone saying, you know what the leaders need to do? I can hear someone saying, you know what the congregation needs to do? But what is God telling us we need to do? Well, there's this pattern in the Old and New Testaments of admitting our sins together out loud, owning the sins of our fathers and saying, you know what, I'm just like mom and dad. I thought I was going to do better. But as I look at my life, I realize I'm not exactly where I thought I was going to be when I was 18 and going to do it all right. Again, in James chapter 4, identifying ourselves for who we really are outside of Christ and then realizing how much we have in Christ, you adulterous people, and letting God examine our hearts. How have I committed a spiritual adultery? Seeking other gods, the gods of pleasure, the gods of stuff, <laughs> the gods 
of friendships, the gods of Fortnite, <laughs> and all that stuff to make us happy, and we're, we're pushing away the true God. Seeking God in community starts with me, and then it goes to we. Last week, I promised a minute, and I was told I didn't give you a minute to think. <laughs> Today, I'm going to do that. Psalm 139. This is the me part. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you take a moment and just as a takeaway today, something you've heard here or in the music or in the Bible studies beforehand, what is it that God is saying to you today about coming before him and seeking him together? Take a minute and think about that. Worship team, I invite you to begin your way up to the platform. Let me just read Psalm 139 again with the we. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.